All right, we're back in Luke. Easter is past. We're back to just being ordinary Christians again, not happy Christians. We were celebrating last week. Now we're just the old miserable bunch we normally are. Although your singing was pretty good. I mean, you all sounded pretty good today. And uh, we're pretty heavy on men in the audience. I don't know what's happened here. Is there a conspiracy underway here? Uh, it, uh, Sounded, it sounded good in spite of the fact that most of our, uh, well, some of our ladies are missing. I can't even tell you who's missing, but it just, maybe I'm just hallucinating up here, but it's, it's good to see you here. I know people are busy, they're traveling, and they're, I think uh, Barb is trying to figure out uh, countertops right now in Pennsylvania, so uh, that's why she's not here. You know, this verse that I, I think I just I'll get that mouse out of the way so I don't get into too much trouble here. I think everybody knows this verse out of Luke, uh, Matthew as well. Uh, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Uh, it's, it seems like even non Christians know this verse, and when we start talking about something, that reminds you that we're not supposed to judge one another. And uh, I, I think often uh, that term has been misused and actually been abused uh, within the church, especially. It's often the repeated cry of those who insist that their immoral or their inappropriate behavior outside of the church is of none of the church's business. And I, I think of a church, my first Baptist church, uh, where they had a, a elder in the church that was involved in immoral behavior, uh, clearly immoral behavior. The whole town knew about it. And the, the pastor, his name was Ralph Michael. You've heard me mention his name often. He, he, uh, he wanted to do something about it, but didn't have the footing in the church to do so. He'd only been there uh, six months or a year at the time. And the only thing he did, since this fellow was the head of the deacons, it was the habit, like I'll call on someone to pray at the different times of the service. It was Ralph's habit not to call on this man to pray. I can't remember his first name now. Um, he was very wealthy and a lot of people in the church owed him money, and he employed a number of people. So as a result, this thing built up to a head, but the cry of the church was always, judge not and you will not be judged. And I came on board, brand new Christian, didn't know anything about what was going on, didn't understand it really until later, uh, a year or so later, it was explained to me what was going on. And um, it actually got to a point where they fired the pastor. They actually drove him out of the church. And I've told that story numerous times. But the point was, in our context here, what are we supposed to do? And if I, if I don't lose myself, when we get to the end of that, the question as, you, as we go through these verses, as we go through the scripture, and I, I've linked this passage, um, Luke 37 through 49, as one unit, and you'll see that. Uh, so that so that in my mind the following passages help to explain the passage judge not and I think I'm safe in doing that and as we get to the end I'd like you to answer the question 
say this guy's name was George. It wasn't. I don't really remember his name. I remember his last name, and I don't want to say it. I, I'm sure he's going to be with the Lord. I hope he's going to be with the Lord uh, in the sense that he was much, much older than I was. Uh, he'd be well over 100 now. Uh, and I really hope he did know the Lord uh, and just was carnal. But what would you do? What would you do if within our church you found that out about me or it was common knowledge about one of the others in the church that they were an open immoral behavior often with others within the church what should we do what would you do uh, the word there uh judge not let's see if i can get to that for you Crineo, uh properly now this this to me as as i look i look at this i think uh, you can see that all right right yeah uh, when I when I look at that, I, I think, yeah, that's just like an English word. You know, we have an English word that has seventy two definitions, and by the time you get done figuring out, it doesn't mean anything. You know, to distinguish, to decide by implication, to try or trial, condemn, punish, avenge, conclude, decree, determine, esteem, judge, go on to sue at law, ordain, call in question, sentence, or to think. Like, wow, what good is that? The word means a lot of things. It doesn't, however, list here, which I think is the actual appropriate definition of the word used in this context, which is to criticize. So in the end, I'm going to tell you, as we go through this anyway, that crineo here, or crino, means to criticize in this context. Now, the reason for that is, it's pretty clear that all judgment within the church is not wrong. Uh, so you can't say never judge. You can't say never condemn. You can't say never decree, never determine. You can't say never never question, never think. You can't, those words say it doesn't apply. It doesn't apply in the church. And, and you know that because first of all, God established government to judge and enforce the law. That's why we have government. Uh, Paul writes that we should be subject to the higher powers, and that word is exousia in the Greek, and it means the authority. There are authorities over us, and they have that right to judge and determine what is right and what is wrong. Uh, Paul made that very clear. Also, Christians are commanded to use discernment and think critically in their lives. We're, we're told to do that. Let the prophets speak by two or three and let the others judge. It isn't that we should silence others in the church, Paul said. That are, that are prophesying or speaking in tongues, what we should do, in fact, is listen to what they have to say and then check out that what they say is true. We're, we are to judge what they're doing. Now, how can you say judge not when we're commanded in 1 Corinthians 14 to judge? This is the question, and the problem is the word has many meanings. See? And in Timothy, uh, Paul told Timothy to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. That is your charge. To, the word prove means to test. It means to judge. You're supposed to listen to what I say and you're supposed to determine if what I'm saying is good and then you hold fast to that. Anything I say that's foolish or stupid, which often happens, then you're to just let go and ignore it. Unless it gets too bad, then you should let me go and ignore me, I guess. You know. Third, Christians are to take a decisive stand on doctrinal and moral issues. Now, Paul had this kind of a character in he was dealing with in the church at at, at Corinthians at Corinth. 
And in 1 Corinthians, he writes, For I verily, absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already, same word, krino, uh, as though it were present, concerning him that has done this thing. And he tells us what to do with it. You're familiar with this passage. He also tells Timothy to, to take pay attention to leaders in the church. A bishop that must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, giving to hospitality, apt to teach. Now, how do you determine these things if you don't judge him, if you don't look at his life and examine it? Not given to wine, no striker. You know, I meant to look up that word this morning. I think it means a, a guy that starts fights, but I don't know. I, did, I didn't look that word up. Not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Wow, that's a lot of standards that you have to test a person on, isn't it? Christians are also admonished to correct those who are in error. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 6 in Galatians, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So you see someone in our church that's involved in something that's inappropriate, that is indeed a fault, we are responsible to go to them. Now you can't do that unless you're exercising some form of judgment. So judgment is not forbidden in this sense. Fifth, we must exercise discernment as we are navigating a world that is at war with God. Jesus himself said, give not that which is holy unto dogs. Well, that's, that's pretty judgmental. Cast not your pearls before swine. So how do we determine a dog or a pig? You know, without some form of judgment, he's not talking about the barn. He's talking about the church. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. There are people out there that if you're not careful with your testimony, they'll use it to destroy you. That's the point. All right. They're enemies within the church of God. So we must exercise discernment. We must correct one another. We must take a decisive stand on doctrinal issues. We must use discernment and think critically, and we must obey the laws of our government. So trying to find a working definition of this word is not easy, uh, but I like Bob Diffenball. I, I really, Stephen Cole both went to, uh, the name of the college is out of my mind now. They went out to a solid school in Texas. Chuck Missler, I listened to a lot. A.T. Robinson, a Greek scholar of the last century. They all seem to agree in the definition of Crino here, is the judgment of which we are speaking today is that which seeks to put others down while elevating ourselves. It is the kind of smug disdain of those who feel superior to others. Now, you know, I've told you that Luke wrote this book many years after the event, whereas there are those, uh, Missler included, who believe that Matthew actually took notes. He actually took notes. Some people believe he actually took notes during the very Sermon on the Mount. So some would say, well, well, Matthew is more current and Luke is more distant from the actual event. And whenever we go through the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's point of view, three chapters, I always feel that Matthew is presenting Jesus as the rightful lawgiver. 
You know, the, the Jews used to say that when Messiah comes, he'll not only explain the law, they expected the Messiah to be an explainer of the law, but they would also, that the Messiah would also explain spaces between the words. That every, it's an interesting statement, I don't know if you thought about that, but uh, they actually believe the Messiah would go into such detail as that. And it's interesting, when Jesus stood before the crowd at Nazareth, he quoted a prophecy of himself, and he took that prophecy right up to a comma, and he stopped. I don't know if you're familiar with that. We've been over it a number of times. Right up to a comma, and he stopped, explaining the spaces in the law, you see. Uh, the last part of that statement about Isaiah was, and, and, and to proclaim the day of justice of the Lord. Had he gone to that last portion of that statement, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, to proclaim the gospel to the, the weak and to heal the captives, I can't quote it, I'm sorry, uh, and to proclaim the something-something day of the Lord, and he stopped. If he had kept going, he would have declared that this was the beginning of the tribulation, but he didn't. He stopped at that very point there. But at, at, so, so in my mind, Matthew's emphasis, and you read Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, and you try to compare it to Luke, you'll find it's difficult, and that's the problem I find myself in today. But I, I do see that Matthew's depiction of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount is as the rightful lawgiver. But now, many years later, as Luke sits down with these disciples, and they go back in their memories to that experience on the Sermon on the Mount, I believe what they're doing is they're thinking about what that sermon said to them. Not so much what Jesus was saying, not that it's inaccurate, I don't mean that, but that the application of what he said was applied to them personally. And I don't think it's wrong to say as we go through this last portion of the Sermon on the Mount, that these words were meant, these words that Luke wrote down, were meant primarily for those of us who believe that this is a message to us. Whereas when I read, the, you know, when I read the Beatitudes in Matthew, I hear that as a universal teaching. When I read this, I see that as a person. I see this as a personal teaching, and that's the way I'm attempting to apply it. Now, Luke tells us this. He says, uh, "We've been over this part," and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, and it goes on. And then skipping up to verse 36 is where we're beginning today. Be ye therefore merciful, merciful as your father also is as your father also is merciful. I've got so much of Matthew in my head says your father in heaven is. I want to add Matthew in it, as your father is also merciful. Matthew reveals to us the true understanding of the law. You remember how he concluded chapter five of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew? You know what the law requires of us? Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Violate in one point and you're guilty of all, James writes. The law demands perfection. But Luke here reminds us that those of us that would truly attempt to follow Jesus, we are to offer the very same mercy to others that God offered to us. See, we are to be like God. So to our brothers and sisters, we are to be as merciful as we hope, as we expect, and as we have experienced God to be merciful to us. We are to be merciful even as our Father is also merciful. Now some of divine, divine mercy is not receiving what we deserve. It's a good definition. 
And grace is receiving what we don't deserve. So when you when you you get before the king of kings, you don't want justice. You want mercy. So justice means you get what you deserve. We don't want justice. We want mercy. We want grace. We want far more than we deserve, and that's what God has given us. Remember that God has accepted us, flaws and all. He took us as we are. He didn't reject us based on our past performance. Instead, he gave us a new heart. And that's the key to this passage in my mind. He gave us a new heart. He gave us new desires and a new purpose. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you bowed your head to receive Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit came in, you were born again. Without that, you're just a person sitting in a pew. When you have that new creation in your heart, your desires change, your will changes, your purpose in life changes. And God is not looking at what we are now, but what we shall be as we grow into Christians. So the disciples are not to be like the Pharisees of their day. We are to leave those critical, judgmental, bitter, self-promoting attitudes in our past. And that verse, judge not, I would translate, criticize not. Judge not and you should not be judged. Now, when I read that in Matthew, I read what Matthew is saying, that by what judgment I judge, it will be meted out to me again. I, I see that when I say, you know, you are doing something wrong, I am defining once and forever that I understand that that behavior is wrong. And when I do it, I'm judged on the same basis of my understanding. I don't read it this way here. Only God is in a proper position to judge us, for only he sees the true persons that we are. If we set ourselves up as judges of one another within the church, we seek to supplant God's role as a behavior that is not only repugnant to God, but it will bring God's judgment on us here and now. Well, go on, I click, you click again. The condemnation of a brother in Christ has only one purpose. You know, you, you find in the church there are encouragers, and you will find in the church that there are lovers who love you just the way you are. You'll find within churches that there are people that dedicate themselves to serving one another. You will find some that can teach and some that can preach. And then there's always that critic who can tell you everything you've ever done wrong and somehow never, never forgets. In Luke 18, Jesus does a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector praying at the altar. And Jesus illustrates this attitude with the Pharisee who stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, even as a publican, you know, this guy is probably standing right next to him in this parable, praying out loud. I fast twice a week. I give tithes. He goes on and on about what a wonderful person he is. Condemnation of a brother in Christ has only one purpose. You make yourself feel better. I don't know if that's true of all criticisms. The next time you find yourself criticizing your wife or your husband or your children, or your dog. No one would criticize a cat, but your dog. 
Ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why does this bother me? Why am I offended in this? Am I angry? This type of criticism is rooted in man's behavior, comparing men with men. Now, Paul tells us we're in the context of the church, we're in the context of judging one another. We're in the context of judging one another on issues that are not clear, disputable, doubtful disputations. We're not talking about the alcoholic. We're not talking about the pedophile or the guy running around on his wife. We're not talking about the guy that stole money from the church. We're talking about doubtful disputations. Him that is weak in the faith received, but not to doubtful disputations. Don't get in an argument about it. For one believes that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eats herbs, foods, what you can and cannot eat. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. And years ago, one of my favorite verses, Who art thou that judges the next verse in that passage? Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, God is able to make him stand. So the subject here in our passage today, in being non-judgmental, the opposite of that is to show mercy. So I'm going to list six things here that he describes in the next 11 verses, I think, might be 12. Uh, of what the, what the harm of criticism is, why we should not be critical of one another. But first of all, criticism is wrong because it's not showing the same mercy to the guy sitting next to you as God has shown you. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over. It's an odd illustration, isn't it? Men shall give unto your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. You know, when we go, when I go buy coffee, I buy a bag that used, used to hold a pound of coffee. Now, if you're lucky, it holds 10 ounces. Same size bag, costs 10 times as much. And you, you, you pick up that bag, and you shake it, and you think, it's not even half full. You know, and it frustrates you. Jesus said, that's not showing mercy. If you would go to the, the grocery store in Jesus' day and you took your cup, they would scoop the cup down in. Because I don't think they were drinking ground coffee, so we have to probably talk about wheat. They would scoop the cup down in the wheat, and then they would shake it so it would settle. And that wouldn't satisfy the merchant, so he'd press it down in there, pushing all the air out, and he'd fill it again and press it out again. That's the illustration of how we're supposed to treat one another, not just scoop and give them a cup, but press it down and give them a full measure of what they deserve. It's a great illustration. The second thing is criticism is wrong because we don't know all the facts. We don't know the person's heart. We see what they're doing, but we can't always interpret why they're doing it. And he spake this parable unto them, can the blind lead the blind, and shall they not both fall into the ditch? 
The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be at his master, as his master. We are blind to the infinite details of another person's life, and we don't know what they've been through. Only God knows that. So it's not, if it's not something that's clearly open sin or unbiblical, back off. Who are we to think that we know better than God? Or in Paul's instance, who are we to think that we're doing better, we can do a better job of directing and leading them than God himself can do? I've often told this story. I know you're probably tired of it, but I used to have long hair. I guess you should begin this story by saying I used to have hair. And there was a time after I got out of the Navy when I was fitting in with all the hippies. I was never a hippie. I just wanted to look like one, so I didn't get any heat from the community. And I let my hair grow long. And I remember going into the Baptist church. I'd just been saved, my goodness, months ago. Deacon was giving me the evil eye, and I, I said, what's wrong? He said, what's wrong? What's wrong? It'll never be right till you cut that hair, you know? You look, you look horrible. You look like a girl. Welcome to the Baptist Church. And I said, I'll cut my hair as soon as God tells me to. And that shut him up. Who are you that judges another man's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Because I was just shooting my mouth off, didn't know what to say. I didn't know that that week God would tell me to cut my hair. Really? I, now, now I had to follow through. Right? Criticism is wrong because we don't know all the facts. He didn't know anything about my life. He didn't know why my hair was long. He, he just assumed. You know, I could have been ugly to him because he and the other deacons were all standing on the front steps smoking. And I should have said, well, you're a great example. You're up here smoking, and here I am just trying to get in the door past your cloud of smoke. Of course, I was smoking too at the time, but and it really didn't bother me. But you really, they should go by the side of the church or at least get out of the way so non-smokers don't have to fight their way through a blue cloud of nicotine to get into the front door. Criticism is wrong because we don't know all the facts. They didn't know my heart. They didn't know how long I'd been saved. They didn't know if those words, they could have crushed me. I could have never gone back to a church again. You just don't know when you say something like that to someone. Uh, years ago, my mother wasn't a biblicist, but you know, it was cultural. You just didn't say something if it wasn't good. If you can't think of anything good to say, don't say anything at all, which is almost impossible for me to keep my mouth shut. I think we all have the same problem. Third, criticism is wrong because it makes us hypocrites. We're hypocritical. Continuing in this passage that Luke recited of Jesus, and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceiveth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou not say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out that little tiny speck that's in your eye when in your eyes it's gigantic tubifor. You're a hypocrite. Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt thou see clearly to pull out the moat that is in thy brother's eye. Here I am in the church holding a rigid standard for my brother and my sister towards their behavior. I've got something to say about every one of you and how you behave, all the while excusing my own misbehavior. So there you go. You, in my mind, lose your temper. But I have righteous indignation, right? 
That's the way we think, isn't it? You're a criminal. You're evading your taxes, but I'm practicing good stewardship. You can talk about tithing. You're cheating God, but I'm careful with what God is doing. You might be speeding in the highway while I'm redeeming the time. There's just a way to pitch it, isn't there? To make myself look better than someone else. That's what we're talking about here. That type of criticism. That type of criticism makes us hypocrites because we look at the other person's flaws and we don't look at our own. And I think it was Bob that wrote this. He said, if only we were as tolerant, as understanding, and as merciful with others as we are with ourselves. What a great statement. What a great statement. Now, fourth, criticism is wrong. And you'll notice, <clears throat> you will notice that the cost in this, the importance of this is heating up. I don't, I don't know if you picked up that theme. It helps me. I have it all written down, you know, and I've been over it a number of times. But criticism is wrong because it ignores the fact that the root determines the fruit. And I don't know if, that, if you're comfortable with that statement. Jesus said in verse 43, for a good tree brings forth, I'm sorry, a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. Neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns do men do not fruit. I, I can't read Luke. He just doesn't write right for me. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they figs. Now, you, you got to think about this a bit. And you have to understand it. Pressuring others to produce righteousness or Christian living through external acts is futile. And it dooms them to failure and your relationship to be destroyed. You can't change someone. You can't, you can't look at that, that young woman you're dating and say, well, I don't like this and this, but I'll, 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 I'll teach her better. People can't change themselves. No man can be made righteous until his heart is radically changed by God. Now, the very definition of religion is man trying to make himself acceptable under God. Christianity is not a religion in that definition. Only God can transform us by giving us a new heart. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I hope you're going, yeah, I know that. I know that. Because if you don't understand what I'm saying, I fear for your own salvation. As I said last week in, in last Sunday's message, sitting in a church will not make you a Christian. You sit there your whole life. You can teach Sunday school. You can lead the music. You can preach. You can be a faithful church attender your whole life, and you would still not be saved. The people that crucified Jesus fit that category. They were some of the best church attenders you had ever seen. You know, if you believe every word of the Bible, you're only as good as a demon because the demons believe the Bible. See, attempting to obey every rule you might perceive to be Christian will not save you. Only God can. 
It's only when God, the Holy Spirit, moves into our soul that we are born again new creatures in Christ Jesus. It requires a spiritual birth. Our heart is changed. Our purpose in life is changed. We have a new root. That's what this is talking about. A corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. It's as simple as that. That's the cue whether a person saved or not. We have in Christ a new root, and only then does it start producing in our lives new fruit. And, and as a new believer, you know this. You know that your life changed when Christ came into your life. You know the difference between how you were and how you are now. Criticism is wrong because it ignores the fact that the root determines the fruit. Fifth, criticism is wrong because it ignores the direct teaching of Jesus. Jesus adds in his statement, says, why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? If this is important to me, Jesus said, why is it not important to you? Why is your life not manifesting the same kind of characters in my life, character, singular, that my life manifested? Everybody hated Jesus because he hung out with sinners. They didn't understand that he was there to save them, not to teach them. Whosoever cometh to me, oh, I think I may have put that up there. 47, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. I've always read that passage in Matthew. Well, even when I read it in Luke, and I always thought that I was talking about my, my own spiritual home, my house. I think it is. I think it's talking about me as an individual, whether I'm saved or not whether my soul is established on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I think it also applies to my home. My family, my wife and my children have to be established on the same rock. If trouble is going to come and if we're going to survive, it's going to require that our foundation is in the rock. Now, I never really thought about it that much, but I never applied this to a church in my mind before. Might be wrong. When you look, so criticism is wrong because it ignores the teaching of Jesus. And to ignore the teaching of Jesus is to offend him. And finally, six, criticism is wrong because it destroys our homes as well as our churches. I'm adding that on. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I've always seen that in the context of personally applying to me. But nothing will cut the heart and soul out of our homes quicker than criticism. Nothing will destroy a child or a wife or a husband quicker than criticism. This type of, I'm better than you, and when you get like me, you'll have it together. This kind of attitude that says you can't do anything right, 
why are you always letting me down? This, this kind of attitude, like I manifest for so much of my life, where I walk in the door and see something on the floor, and I look down and I see that, and I say, Linda, there's toys on the floor here. You know, she was, what, napping for the rest of the day or something? You know, she's in there fighting with four kids, trying to keep them from killing each other. And I'm telling her, oh, there's a toy. Look, there's a toy on the floor. Maybe, maybe that's a hazard of being a shop teacher. I don't know. Look, these tools aren't put away. But the Holy Spirit was right when he rebuked me and said, does that toy bother you? I said, yeah, it does. He said, well, then pick it up. Well, what? Don't bother me that much. Yeah. <laughs> I can step over it. Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a good thing God doesn't practice lightning with us, isn't it? But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation. Nothing will destroy our children, our wives, or our husbands faster than people who exhibit this type of criticism that builds them up and tears you down. Nothing will break us up faster. And for the first time as I've gone through this passage, I realize it's also true for churches. Nothing will destroy a church quicker than this I am better than you attitude, this critical attitude that has something to say about everyone but themselves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We recognize in these verses that in many instances we're guilty of some and certainly for me, and perhaps for some others, I'm guilty of all. Help us, Lord, to be more like you. Give us, Father, more sap from that root of Christ, and help us to draw on him. Father, my hope is that every single individual here and within the sound of my voice is firmly attached to the root of Jesus Christ that they have seen themselves as sinners, that they've repented of that sin, they've attempted to turn from it, they've confessed it as sin, and that they've called on your son, Jesus Christ, to come into their life and to save them. And I know, Lord, if they would pray this simple prayer, forgive me, Lord, for I am a sinner and I have failed you. Please come into my life and save me. And I know, Father, if they'll pray that prayer in Jesus' name, you will save them. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen.